Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are rolling in to Luke chapter 11. And before we jump into this, I wanted to uh, just share this comment from Jerry Clust that he sent via text. He said, everyone is our neighbor, game changer now, love thy neighbor. I love that statement because after after our understanding of uh, helping the Good Samaritan after our understanding of of what it is that we're supposed to do in a loving way, you know, everybody is our neighbor and mm-hmm. we have got to be, we've got to be attentive. You know, we've got to, to know that that's the case. And I like Jerry's statement on that that's a game changer. So yes, absolutely. It's his, his comments are always extremely, extremely encouraging. And absolutely. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, Luke chapter 11, and there is a whole lot here. We are definitely going to have to break this one into two podcasts, but we're going to start with this instruction on prayer. So what's something that stands out to you right off the bat? Well, it is it is, it is uh, important to note that uh, Jesus was, while he was praying, first of all, we see that his, uh, his disciples had come to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. It was a regular custom for a Jewish, a Jewish rabbi to teach his, his disciples prayer or sometimes prayers, which they would, which they would use. It, they, they, uh, they alluded to the fact that John the, John the Baptist had done that for his dis- disciples. And so they're coming to Jesus and saying, teach us to pray. Now, I, I like the fact that they didn't say, teach us what to pray, but teach us to pray. Yeah. Another just observation along those lines is that we often see Jesus praying, then Jesus teaching. And I don't know that mm. I don't know that we're trying to create a formula out of this, but what an amazing precedent to set for a teacher. What an amazing precedent to set for a pastor uh, that out of prayer comes the teaching. Mm-hmm. Out of prayer mm-hmm. comes this, this amazing place that we're supposed to be. Uh, we see this again in Jesus all the time. So, so it happened that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And then we come into this most famous prayer of the Christian faith. We have what is called the Lord's Prayer. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now that right there is worth stopping at, uh, just because we have, we have this account elsewhere and uh, Matthew 6, 9 would say, pray then in this way. Uh, so what it seems that Jesus is actually getting at, if we were to put those kinds of ideas together, what it seems that Jesus is praying is there are some key elements or components that I'm going to teach you that you should pray with. He, is, he doesn't seem to be advocating what we've in some senses turned this into, which is a which is a particular structured prayer. Although that is not completely out of the question, mm-hmm. being that Jewish people very much had specific prayers in which they prayed. The other week, as I was sharing the a message on uh, breaking bread and the and the Jewish roots to this idea through Passover or through Shabbat or Sabbath. The idea is that every time there's a blessing over the cup, it's a, it's a, a rigid prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that is understood and known mm-hmm. by the community. So uh, with that, it's just something to consider 
There is pray when you pray, say, or pray along these lines or something like that, uh, which will get us into another discussion on prayer in just a second. Mm-hmm. But here's what he says. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Mm -hmm. Give me some thoughts on all this. First of all, it would have been unusual. Jews did not call, it was was very, very unusual for a Jew to call God or Yahweh or Jehovah Father. They, that was not a, the way that they addressed God most of the time. It would have been unusual. Uh, That would have seemed too intimate and too casual for a Jew who would not even say the name of God. So we, we, so that, that was unusual. Uh, And also, uh, the the kind of the, the order that this takes, uh, it first starts off before they had asked anything for themselves. Uh, God and his glory and reverence that's due to him, that's that comes first. And so I, I liked the fact that they're they're giving reverence to God, hallowed be your name, yes. your kingdom come. Yeah. I think when we connect this with with the other scriptures that tell us that we now have a spirit, the you know this the spirit of God that dwells in us, the Helper, the Counselor. We have a spirit that dwells in us by which we cry, Abba, Father. The idea here is Jesus is prepping them and teaching them of how they are to pray because of the relationship that they have via the Spirit that is this deposit for an inheritance to come. And so by the spirit that dwells in us, we cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, if you want to get intimate, Abba, Father is even more intimate because Mm -hmm. Abba would be an affectionate form of Father versus just, you know, maybe we say Father in our day, but but we often uh, would say something more affectionate, something like Daddy. Now, I've I've talked about this in times past. That still makes my skin crawl. Uh, It's (laughs) not... It's not because I don't want my daughters to call me dad or daddy. They call me that all the time. And it doesn't make my skin crawl there. There is simply an altogether, uh, there's a difference altogether between me and our Heavenly Father. And there's a there's a reverence disconnect that I can't seem to get past in that. That yes, yes, he is intimate with us. There, there's This is true in the scripture, but the same scripture would tell us that here's how you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Yes. That's, that is, you know, that's a pretty strong sense of reverence mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And, and there, there were even commentators that I read that, that, that say that there is no historical evidence of of the term father being used prior to Jesus, so that's uh, and I, I that that would seem to be true. Uh, I I I don't I I've never seen it prior to that, and I hadn't thought about it before before we actually see broke this prayer down word by word. But uh, yeah, that's that uh, is very uh, notable that that Jesus s- said he 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 is your father. Yes. So so we move we move from Father, hallowed be your name, into this really cool petition or this really cool um, believe it or not, it's it's more of a declaration. It's there's no question mark here. Uh, it says, Your kingdom come. So mm-hmm. so Lord, 
you know, your kingdom come. I think that that's an important thing we've seen in scripture. We've seen in the scriptures that the kingdom of God is in us. And and of course that's humbling. Uh, The kingdom of God is in us or that uh, Jesus sent the 70 out and said to tell the people the kingdom of God is near to you. But then when Jesus comes, the kingdom is at hand. He, he is present with you. And then we have the connection that Jesus is dwelling within us or via his spirit, he is dwelling within us. So, so uh, what we're seeing here in many ways is, at least as I'm reading it, is uh, Jesus is this prayer, your kingdom come, Lord, change hearts, mm-hmm. let your kingdom come, let your reign be in the hearts of people all over. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why it's so important for me to stress that point is that uh, we're, we're not going into the world changing its legal structures or its political structures or its societal structures and acting or pretending as though that is that is the work of Jesus alone. Jesus has to change hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and if yes. Jesus is not dwelling inside of somebody, if that piece of the kingdom come is not true, then uh, it's it's simply a facade. Mm-hmm. We're, we're simply mm-hmm. playing a religious game, trying to do what Jesus said without doing what Jesus said, which is being born again yes. and being yes. changed. The, the thought kept coming to me uh, when I read this that... that there is a, a, a sense that this shows that this prayer is not just a going to God and, and it isn't just a tool to get what we can from God. It's not that. It, it is a way, when, when we say, Father, hallowed, which is set apart, be your name, your kingdom come, this should be a prayer for us to get God's will accomplished, not only in us, but in, in, in this world that we live in. So if we, if, if we want what God wants, we're going to want his kingdom to come. Absolutely. So it is not just a people, uh, I, 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 I can recall many, many years ago and not understanding prayer and saying, well, it's just a way to tell God what I need. That, that's so far off the base, yeah. so far. It, it, Especially while it is if that, that's all that it is. It, exactly, exactly. So when we pray and say, first, your kingdom come, Yes, uh, uh, that's different. Yeah. That's way different. And, and it is very clear that that is a, that is a surrender statement, mm-hmm. not my kingdom, Lord, not Absolutely. my will, you know, but your kingdom come. Uh, you know, we were talking just a second ago about this term father, and it is... Uh, it is a frequent title used in Near Eastern religions, mm-hmm. and it carried um, it carried overtones of of sexuality and fertility and all of those things when you're when you start studying pagan uh, religions and and views on this. But here's an interesting fun fact, right? The title Father is used sixty five times throughout the Synoptic Gospels, yeah. and it's over a hundred times in John's gospel wow. alone, yeah. Father. Wow. Yeah. So there, this this notion of a um, a relationship of children to their father, this intimacy, it is a, a, an important relationship. Mm-hmm. It's an important mm-hmm. thing, and mm-hmm. uh, I referred to uh, just a second ago the passage of the Spirit being given to us, and we cry out, "Abba, Father." You can find uh, passages like this in in or. or 
statements like this in Mark 14, 36, Romans 8, 15 through 16, and Galatians 4, 6, just for your for your further study. So keep going with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And I, I think the other uh, one of the other pieces that 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 this brings to mind is that is that God is 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 the source of all things that are related to his kingdom coming. Now, does he use us in that uh, quest? No, no doubt he does. But but that that's but he's the source of it. He he the the the, the very term hallowed or set apart be your name. They there is a reverence for God because when his kingdom comes, it does it it brings it brings holiness. It uh, it uh, uh, it it we 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 see that in another scripture it says that those that come to God must first believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And I I, I when you say the word the words believe that He is that is so many things are wrapped up in that term that we could be here. For days Absolutely. to going through all of the things that it that 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 term that Father hallowed be your name. Yeah, my goodness, Absolutely. there's a lot in just those words alone. So verse three uh, talks about giving us each day our daily bread. You got any got any specific insight into that? I, one? I I you know I often thought that this was more about a more kind of spiritual ethereal thing. I'm I'm beginning to believe that this was just. Real bread. This yeah. was bread. This was food here. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, I, I think that uh, uh, we sometimes, uh, there, were, there were many folks that thought this may refer to the communion and the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, some thought it may have been referring to just Jesus himself. And, and maybe all those things are a part of that, that, that there, could ha- there could be some truth in, in, in all of that. But I think I think Jesus is talking about a practical daily matter here in this case, and I I, I have to yes. That's my and thought. and what's really fun about a passage like this and the various interpretations of what it could mean uh, is actually rooted in this idea that the word uh, for daily, the word daily bread. Mm-hmm. Is actually, and I know that this sounds crazy, like that, that people would know these facts, but but you can discover these yourself if you if you just look hard enough. But the word daily here is actually found track this because this is really impressive. Three times in all ancient Greek literature, not the Bible, three times wow. in all ancient Greek literature. So so d- diving into what it means is really difficult. Mm-hmm. This gets us back to a, a, a really important point on hermeneutics or a, a method of interpretation. One of the ways that we come up to uh, say uh, say a uh, a lexicon like BDAG or something like this, or, or your Strong's Concordance or something like this, one of the, the way that those things are uh, are created is that scholars take the words in the Greek, look to original writings, and find out, as well as context, and find out how the word is used in its context. And that derives meaning. I've heard this said a lot of times, and people really need to give it some time to think about it, but here's the statement, words do not have meaning. 
Mm. <laughs> words say things, but words themselves do not have a meaning. You, you look at it and you say, okay, what does that word mean in its context? A context has a meaning. Certainly. A, an, I, a, a statement might have a meaning. So in this, this word daily is confusing So because it's largely unknown. So it could be bread for existence, right? It's it, like you said, literal bread. Um, it could be bread for the coming day or tomorrow's bread, right? Because this is written in this present tense, the specific kind of present tense in the Greek, which um, which alludes to the fact of uh, fact of a ongoing supply, like God is going to supply you with that. Um, bread for the present day is one way that I that I read uh, that it is often interpreted, um, but nonetheless, what we what we see here is this petition that calls out to God and says, "We need you to provide for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need you to provide for us." I think I think sometimes this is where we have to understand a thought more than we have to understand definitions. What is happening here? Well, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. You should call out to God and say, give us each day our daily Mm -hmm. bread. Give us our provision. Whatever we need, Mm -hmm. Lord, you take care of those things. And I think that's where we're really at a good meaning. Mm -hmm. Great insight into that. It would have it would have uh, rung true to these people because in their culture Unlike ours, and they, uh, workers as an example, were paid generally one day at a time. So they were given pay at the end of the day that they worked. We see it in many stories that they would they would be paid at the end of the day instead of at the end of a week or a month or a, you know whatever that would be. So it wouldn't be unusual for Jesus to say, "Give us what we need daily. Yes. Give us what we need." For and, and whether that's bread or anything else, that's that would not be an, an unusual. Their culture would reflect that a that a daily sustenance was generally how they worked things. They didn't they didn't have a warehouse full yeah. of bread, and they didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't right? have a refrigerator. So these are important things. Exactly. So in Second Thessalonians, just kind of for your own further study, Second Thessalonians three eight says this. It says, "Nor did we eat anyone's bread without." paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. There's no person who reads Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and thinks that bread simply means literal bread. We didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. We didn't eat anyone's food That's what bread meant there. So again, another important thing to look at this prayer is give us this day our food, what we need. Yes. Again, that's how that works. So then verse four rolls on. Uh, Although I I will say this, uh, I like bread. So let's move on. Uh, Then verse four, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That line Mm. makes me jump for joy because... It does not say what we pray today, which is, Lord, forgive us of our sins and help us to forgive people who've been jerks to Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. It's a declaration. Yes. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is back to our, our podcast on the Beatitudes. These are not a series of moral uh, dictates that therefore make you a Christian. These are the identifiers of the Christian. Absolutely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. 
So the idea here is forgive us of our sins. Our declaration, Lord, is we are a forgiving people. Mm -hmm. So forgive us because we're going to do what you commanded us to do. Powerful. It's, it is, it is saying that that we, uh, we this this says that we have we, we do forgive we do forgive we realize that there was we were indebted to God and that was forgive, forgiven so we we understand that that it is uh, it, we we will forgive it's not Lord help like as you've said it's not Lord help us to forgive this assumes that you're doing what God has said yes. to do forgive others and b- because that's the only way that we're yes. going to be forgiven so, so so important connections with this the scripture tells us if you do not forgive you will not be forgiven absolutely not and the yes. identifier of a people who Uh, to whom much has been given, is that much is expected of them. And so the idea here is, and this, I know that this is hard. I know that this is challenging for people because the the natural response to a pastoral uh, call to walk in forgiveness constantly is for somebody to say, but you don't know what they've done to me. Or uh, maybe I'll forgive, but I'm sure not going to forget it, right? That's, we're not dealing with true forgiveness here. We've got, we have to wrestle. Now, does that mean that trust is developed? Of course, we need to spend a whole lot of time Mm -hmm. talking about whether trust is developed. You can, you can talk about rules and boundaries if you'd like, but uh, we, we just recently read that the scripture tells us that if your brother comes to you seven times in a day asking for forgiveness, you forgive him. Mm-hmm. You know what our MO is? Our brother asked for forgiveness once, fine. Twice, maybe. Three times, now you're pushing it, bud. Yeah. By the time he comes the seventh time, we're saying, You've not, you didn't mean it the other six times. Forget it. Okay. I, know your, I know your deal. No. Jesus says if he comes repenting seven times, you forgive him every time. Why? We are a forgiving people, Absolutely. period. And that is hard for this generation, this people to hear. That is exactly right. And it, this, this very scripture assumes that those who have been forgiven are going to show forgiveness to others. It it doesn't say you you might or maybe or we hope that you do. It it <laughs> says that you will. You you have to forgive everyone who is indebted that 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 to us. It yeah. it's so it's so interesting the wording that's used that 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 sin debt if you will uh, is always is always been intriguing to me because that's that is a debt that in our in and of ourselves. We don't have payment for. Yes. Uh, we just don't yes. have payment for. Very powerful. So so next he goes into this really obscure line, and, and it has caused a lot of discussion on uh, what God is doing here. It says, and lead us not mm-hmm. into temptation. Uh, the scripture elsewhere would tell us that God does not tempt, okay? Correct. God yep. does not tempt people. But just food for thought, something to consider in, in your own personal study, uh, the reality is still the same that God will lead people into a place in which they are tested. Yes. Jesus himself in Luke's gospel and others is led by, not the devil, by the spirit of God into the wilderness mm-hmm. to be tempted by the devil. So one way that we might put this in our minds is 
There is nothing contrary to God's character that he would lead you to be tested. The petition here or the the statement here is uh, don't, yes. right? Don't lead us into that because, because those times are trying. Those times are hard. And why would you want to put yourself in that? Another way to interpret temptation, uh, and many scholars interpret it this way, but temptation, they say, should be interpreted as a reference to the great temptation or the tribulation at the end of time, uh, not ordinary temptation. And that would be that these, he was teaching his disciples to say, lead us not through that great mm-hmm. tribulation. Uh, deliver us mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Let, us, let us be set apart from that. And I suppose that could transfer to us today. Mm-hmm. Lord, Lord, save us from that great time that mm-hmm. is coming uh, in the future. Just, just some thoughts. Yeah, those, those are some good, some good ways to look at this. And, you know, we read that, that word and we, we see the tempt, temptation piece. And, we, it, and when we think of that as a test, as you've said, certainly we're going to be tested. It, it, it does not mean it's going to be a solicitation to do something evil, right? It, it 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 does not mean that. It's it's it. So it doesn't always uh, mean that 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 while while God it, it James says God doesn't tempt us to do yes. to, to do evil. So we we know that that but we know that there are tests that come for sure. Yes, a couple of just personal Bible study uh, addresses for you to go to James 1.12, 1 Peter 4.12 through 13. And then Revelation two ten. These these will help you if you if you study them in their surrounding context. They'll help you in your understanding of uh, temptation and the the desire to stay away from it because of what it can lead to. Uh, small note as we move on to five. Uh, to be tempted is not to sin. That's an important distinction that I think the church needs to understand. Mm. To be tempted is not to sin. The Bible tells us that. Uh, Temptation can give birth if we if we submit to temptation, it gives birth to sin. So, real important thing: there are lots of enticing things in this world, mm-hmm. and just because it's there doesn't mean that you've fallen into the sin yet. Okay, but be diligent, yes. right? Watch yes. out for those particular things. So, just a pastoral note there. Mm-hmm. Then we move on to verse five, and the con- the instruction on prayer blows up here, right? You know what I'm saying? It just blows up. So he says, uh, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, now notice these are friends uh, together. He says, do not bother me. And you could put in there, do not bother me, friend. The door has already been shut up and my children and I are in bed. And if you're anything like me and you have four daughters, getting them back in bed is a pain in the neck. Okay. So anyway, he goes, I cannot get up and give you anything. Then verse eight, he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And we're going to come back to that as much as he needs. It's powerful. So I say to you, this is Jesus back to his disciples, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stop at verse ten, but I know you've got a lot of yeah. thoughts on this. Go. Well, Let's stand and out. it starts off. You know, Jesus uses a a picture of of someone coming to a friend at midnight, and we. We we see this, and until we understand what the, the the way the Jewish culture worked, and and the and the house and the household rules and the situations that they lived in, until we understand that, it it seems odd to us. So it it, it wasn't unusual in a Jewish household. Most homes were simply one room situations, and and they would have to sleep. <laughs> All of the members of that family would sleep in one room, and they probably even more than likely would have had maybe some sort of a slightly raised platform where the the father, mother, and all of the kids slept on that. And they, they probably even had their animals inside around them. So for someone to get up and to get through <laughs> the, the kids and the sheep and the goats and all of that, there was no way that you could do that without getting without waking everyone else up in the household. So that let's let's start there. But the other piece of this that certainly was a huge piece that the these Jews would have known, the Jewish custom of hospitality was extremely important. They they taught that if a friend came unexpectedly, it would have been unthinkable to not offer him food. So, uh, so, and that would have been no matter what time of the day. So, and the Levitical law also gave instructions regarding sojourners and people that were living in your house and visitors that, that came in. Jewish children were taught to invite someone who came to their house to invite them in for dinner. That was the, that was the hospitality piece. So this story is is quite notable because some of the things would have not rung true necessarily to those that that, that were Jews there, which seemingly at this point would have been many of them, Absolutely. if not most. And we've we've seen this trend of hospitality to to the um, the friend on the road mm-hmm. to the stranger, mm-hmm. uh, not only through the parable of the Good Samaritan, but we've seen this all the way throughout the Old Testament. We have Lot welcoming in these messengers of God, uh, while the the danger at night was that they're the, what you're doing in this hospitality is is a protection, it's a love, it's a care for those things. Uh, also, I think worth noting, not that we read too much into these things, but worth noting is the time of day. It's midnight. Mm-hmm. Well, the day just began. At, mm-hmm. at 6 p.m. The, the previous mm-hmm. night. So because your guest was coming on this new day and they arrived later in the night, so you, you need to welcome them and you need to do this. So, so the next piece is that they go and they ask for bread. It's, it's also worth noting the three loaves is not significant of anything. It's not allegorical. It just, <laughs> that's just what he was using as an example here, right? And so uh, they petition for this. But what is noteworthy is that they're loaves of bread. And this ties it in with our previous mm. pa- passage on teaching on prayer. Jesus is using this all together, right? The only break between the Lord's prayer instruction and this is then he said to them, <laughs> so, so he furthered this teaching and says, well, let's, let's use this again. You would call out to God for your bread, for, for whatever, for yourself, yes. for your, for your needs. Well, then you, you need to be persistent. 
mm-hmm. in that prayer. A- Keep absolutely. going. Absolutely. It. Well, it, it's it's very uh, it's very interesting that in verse seven, as strong as that friendship was, and it did say that they that they were friends, it wasn't strong enough for him to wake up his whole family at that point, or to get up and 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 give the man anything. But it's but when when you think yet because of his pers- persistence. Uh, he 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 starts to do something quite interesting. I, it, along the lines of what you have ju- just said, I think that we we often are not passionate or persist in prayer. It it it, it isn't that God is re, is reluctant or needs to be persuaded necessarily. Absolutely, uh, I think our persi- persistence. In, in understanding that what 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 God uh, what we need from God has more of an effect on us than yes. it does God, and uh, and there's there's a lot in that, and there's there's many many things, and probably more than we're even looking at or seeing in this. Yes. There there are groups in the church today that would say that if you pray for something more than once, it shows your lack of faith. Jesus is the one who told me to pray more. Jesus is the one who instructs his disciples and then later tells a story or a a parable of the persistent widow. The idea is that we are the ones who are growing in our faith every time we pound on that door, every time we ask, every time we seek, every time we knock. It's also important that this, again, is not to always be filtered through the lens of the the particular provision we need. Sometimes, look at what he says in the end when he says, forever asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Mm -hmm. The idea here is far more than just, I need bread from you, God, for my hospitality. It can be, I want wisdom, Lord. I'm going to knock on this door until you give it. And God says, be persistent because I will give you what you Mm -hmm. ask for. Mm -hmm. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will do what you need. And we're going to see that connection Mm -hmm. here in just a little bit. I think if we persist, it, it changes our heart so that, and it starts to develop in us a passion for what God wants. Now, I'll tell you there were I think I, I I see two distinct things here. There are two lessons, if you will, here. I think one is about prayer, but the other one seems to be uh, about the goodness of God. And let me let, let me tell you how. Let's start with this man's legitimate request. He he wanted bread. He he was this was a request, a, a prayer, if you will. That would be in line with something that's good. It wasn't necessarily the bread. Wanting the bread was needful. It wasn't good or bad. It was needful. So not a, not a selfish request, not ungodly, but the persistence in praying. So the per, persistence in praying is the first lesson. God God wants interaction with us. He He wants us to persist in coming to Him. It it seems the homeowner in in verse eight would end up giving his friend as much as he needs. Now, the second lesson seems to flow right with that is the goodness of God. Jesus is contrasting here, and we're going to see this as we go in, it, in, 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 in these next verses. He's contrasting our human goodness, which is can, can be good or yeah. can be like the bread, not necessarily good or, bra- or bad, but He's, he's contrasting our goodness to our children on down with the with the God with God the Father's goodness to His children. Absolutely, 
And it is, it is absolutely amazing how Jesus draws this all to get together to, to, to give them a lesson in so many things in just a few sentences yes. here. I, th- I think if we miss the goodness of God piece at the end uh, solely for the persistence of our prayers in the beginning, we've only gotten half the lesson. So I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think rarely uh, we see a passage with such clarity where it says, by the way, I want you to know the quality that actually makes this mm-hmm. thing happen. And in verse eight, we see that quality as that persistence yes. that we talked about. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, understand it, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Uh, The idea here was there was an inconvenience. If all the children are lying on a mat, if all the children are in one room, to open the door could be to wake them up. And now you've uh-huh. disturbed the whole household for this. But guess what? Your persistence is going to cause that friend to jump out of his bed. And, and in this, Jesus is paralleling his father with this the uh-huh. whole time. Uh-huh. Remember uh-huh. Who, you're, who you're petitioning. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed uh-huh. be your name. So then verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be open. I do think it powerful to see action and promise yes. in every instance Absolutely, here. Absolutely, yes. If you ask... You will receive. Does that mean that if I pray for a basketball today, I'm going to get a basketball by the end of the day? No, that that's. But we're not dealing with the right idea here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are seeking God for the things that He is. We're seeking His kingdom. Yes. Right. Yes. And we've got to keep coming back to that filter. And what is true of God's kingdom? He feeds His people. Mm-hmm. So if you're hungry, if you're in need of that, yes, call out to God. That's fine. But if we're just dealing with wants here, uh, these this isn't supposed to communicate mm-hmm. that, right? So we go on and we have these promises. Ask, receive, yeah. seek, find, knock, it will be opened. And we're going to see what all that means at the end of these next three yeah. verses. So walk us through them. The, this, this verse 9 is, is just a continuous uh, activity. It might even be, let, let, let me uh, read it in a little different. We're, we're told to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. So that, that brings the pers- persistence piece into, into what he's saying here. So, uh, but jumping right down into uh, verse number 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. That's an amazing yeah. verse. So with that in mind, he goes 11 through 13. So yes. why don't you walk us through those? Sure, sure. We'll, well, we'll the, the uh, uh, verse 11 says, Now suppose one of, you, uh, one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. Uh, he will not give him a, sn- a snake instead of a fish, will he? Unless you're a practical joker. <laughs> Unless and then you like to do those <laughs> kinds of things. And that would not be good either. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, verse 12 or if he asked for an egg, 
he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Now, I just want to pause. What kind of parallels are these? You know, like an egg and a scorpion? I mean, there is significance to that. This we, we have seen in the past where uh, where serpents and scorpions were were emblems of evil, right? They were they were examples of evil. So in other words, if even as a sinner, a father, a son asks his father for a good mm-hmm. thing, his father's not going to give him an evil thing. He's not going to give him a bad thing, but let's keep going. Exactly. Exactly. So if if a son would ask for bread, any father is is not he he's going to would he give him a rock? He wouldn't give him a rock. Exactly. And, and, and Jesus is saying, and any human father loves to bless his kids. Uh, so and and would never answer a request for something good with something evil. Yes. So so that th- it I this goes back to the bread thing that what the man had had been asking for was not necessarily good or evil it, but but it was but God's not going to answer something that, like this with, with something evil something good with something evil it's just not going to happen yeah. i think another thing to uh, keep in mind is is that this was a form of argumentation that rabbis had constant form of argumentation in which they would reason from the lesser to the greater, mm-hmm, right? From mm-hmm. the lesser to the greater. So he said, so again, this is like any any modern argument uh, method that we might use. They had them too. They were thinking human beings. And so they used... Uh, they used ways of argumentation, and this argumentation was from the lesser to the greater. So they would say, suppose a father asks his, uh, a son asks his father for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake instead of a fish. That's the lesser. Then we have 13, which is the greater. If you then, mm-hmm. being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And we'll we'll have to analyze that line here in a second. But it is the lesser to the greater. Yes. How many? If if this is normal for you, and you would do this, then how much more? Yes. How much greater is your Father who is in heaven? And and He's going to give us this this somewhat to me. I see this as. Part of part of the best gift of all, God especially loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him because they're going to be they're going to believe and and uh, we we don't we we should never doubt God's desire for for those things and I I I, I want to say good things but I don't want to say good things in our in our definition of good things. These are the good things of God, it's the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom thing. It is not, Lord, give me a a, a, a new car and a boat and all this stuff. The, we we might see those as good, but this is kingdom good, as Absolutely. you well said. Absolutely. So, so if we if we reason through this kind of uh, this kind of argumentation, we would be saying something like this: um, If A is true, verses eleven and twelve. If A is true, you. You're you and I. We're just human beings. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we would give a good gift to our children, we would give the gift they asked for to our children. Then how much more would God do that thing? So so the argumentation would go: If A is true, verses eleven and twelve, how much more would B be true? Mm-hmm. Right. B would yes. be God That's does awesome, this. Awesome so thing. so just kind of connecting that logic is really important and. 
again, these are principles of interpreting the Bible, realizing that you're reading a divinely inspired, as Mike Heiser says, uh, you're reading a divinely divinely inspired human book. And that is, this is capturing real people in real time using, using real logic. And Jesus himself is come to earth, come to, you know, this incarnate place where he is speaking to us on a level we get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he repeatedly uses even the the rabbi's own tactics in order to explain or even refute them at times. So pretty powerful, Mm -hmm. powerful stuff. Any further thoughts on 11 through 13? And then we can move on. I just, I really love that, that the, that the, that the the thing that Jesus ends this piece with is that is that uh, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Yes. So you need so, to be asking. Absolutely. So so in other words, what we have is we have a a teaching on how to pray. Pray along these lines. We have a we have a confirmation that it is really pray along these lines and not always this specific prayer because what happens next is an illustration of people just asking God for things. Mm-hmm. We have no we have no definitive thing there. Um, so they're asking out of out of their particular needs and their kingdom needs and God giving those things. Now this last line that says, uh, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The parallel to this would be found in Matthew seven eleven, and it says, "If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven?" That's just mm-hmm. um, that's just Matthew's iteration of that. Yes. Your heavenly Father, your Father who is in heaven, give what is good to those. Who ask him. The real important uh, theological understanding here is not that the only thing that you're supposed to receive or expect to receive is some sort of filling of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's true. That's wonderful. We we want uh, more of the Spirit. We want to we want to continue to grow in our understanding. We want to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We want to expand in that work. But remember when this is happening in redemptive history. Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. He hasn't, Pentecost hasn't happened yet. These men have no framework Mm -hmm. for Acts chapter 2. Right, exactly. They're not thinking in those terms at all, right? And Jesus is not, again, dropping some sort of little hidden thing that they won't ever understand until later. The point is that Matthew records it in a way that is that is really helpful to us, and that is, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good things? Yes. What did what did you just lead us off with? Of course, we're dealing with persistence, but we have to look at the goodness of God here. Yes. And what we're seeing is that God wants to give good gifts to His children. Yes. There we go, and that is an amazing thing. We have to be a people who return back to this declaration. What we're, what we're uh, proclaiming in our, our Father who art in heaven prayer is your kingdom come. Mm-hmm. So what good thing, what does it mean by good things? It means kingdom things. It means those things, mm-hmm. which are, again, marked by the very spirit of that kingdom, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's never a, never a question about God's desire. It's more question about our 
our ability to receive and our our mindset on that on on the whole thing. So awesome yeah. stuff. I love that. Yeah. Another another uh, just food for thought piece. This is a recording of what takes place pre Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But remember also this, and this is just curious for our interpretation. This this account wasn't written till after. Right. So uh, interesting thought there that that maybe. Maybe the readers of Luke would have understood the language of how much more will he give you his Holy Spirit, meaning something unique about mm-hmm. that. But still remains that Paul uh, that, that Luke is trying to give us a detailed account, account of what did happen. Exactly. And I think there's something to mm-hmm. be said mm-hmm. about that. Okay, so we're going to move into verse 14. I'm just going to walk through this verse by verse, and we'll, we'll chime in like we've been doing as we go. And he... Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon, well, that, that solves half of his problem, okay? So he doesn't have to tell him what to say and what not to say. Anyway, uh, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. So he, not only was his demon mute, but the demon had prevented the man from speaking, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul the ruler of demons. Mm-hmm. So in other words, he's casting out devils by the devil. Uh, and then it says in verse 16, others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven, but he knew their thoughts and said to them, we'll, we'll talk about his response, mm-hmm. but what, what do you uh, see in those first couple of verses? Well, first of all, the, I, I, I see that uh, we need to understand that that these uh, these people marveled for several reasons. Uh, they had a, a the the Jews believed that you had to know that you had to know what the demon's name was mm-hmm. before. Now let, let's go back for a second, and we're go, we're going to talk more about this. This was so interesting to me. The Jews in that day had their own exorcist, and that's biblical. We'll 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 talk about that. It's there in there. But they believed that that they had to make the demon reveal his name, or they had no authority over the demon to cast it out. So maybe there was some some of that thinking was going on as to why they were so amazed. Uh, so, so uh, but then he he goes on to say, but but some of them said he casts out demons by Be- Beelzebul, the ruler of the of the demons. So they are. They are saying that Jesus was in partnership with Satan, yes. and that's how he was doing all these things. Yes. And that was uh, wow. He the, there is a, a really good uh, teaching that's about to happen yes, for them. Absolutely, I think you know us knowing the New Testament, knowing the epistles, and further you know moving further, we we remember that Second Corinthians six would tell us that. Uh, light has no fellowship with darkness. Uh, Jesus has no fellowship with these demonic things. But in the face of that which they do not understand, right, in the face of things that they can't understand, uh, these these religious people, these, uh, you know, religious in their own mind uh, people have got to find a way against Jesus. Now, Matthew doesn't, or um, uh, Luke doesn't necessarily tell us who these particular enemies were. It says, but some of them. Matthew uh, tells us that they were Pharisees, and Mark mm-hmm. tells us that they were teachers of the law, mm-hmm. which none of those contradict. You can be a teacher of the law and a Pharisee and, and all in one. Yes. Uh, Luke's account just simply says, but some of them. 
them said. Um, but make no mistake, we have, through the other accounts, we know that they were teachers of the law who happened to be of the camp of Pharisees. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're ridiculing Jesus. They're telling him that he is not... Uh, he is not of God, but instead that he is actually of the devil. Now that's powerful because Jesus will also say to them that they're of their Their father, father, the devil. So that's a really important thing. So we move through this and it says others uh, had tested him. They were demanding of him a sign from heaven, a sign from heaven. That literally translates uh, to an attesting miracle from heaven, right? So they want something. Now, I'm confused in this uh, because you just had a demon who made a man mute. You cast it out and the man can speak, which is the attesting sign that this really happened. And they missed that piece. But I think their problem is, is that they really do believe he's in league with the devil. They believe this because they're saying, well, you're doing this temporarily as a sign of uh, of your power to get people to follow you, but you're actually not mm-hmm. of the right spirit, which mm-hmm. which is a really blasphemous thing to say, at least when they find out he is yes. who he yes. claims to be. So then verse 17, we jump back in, but he knew their thoughts and said to them, common phrase in the scriptures, he knew their thoughts. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a house mm-hmm. divided against itself falls If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom Mm -hmm. stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Yeah. That's, wow. <laughs> so they, they will be your judges. I can't wait to get into this. Now, we, the, the point, Jesus was making a, what I would consider a logical argument to them. He was mm-hmm. like, listen, if I'm working for Satan, how is it? How is it that he's going to benefit from what I just did? How does that even work? It doesn't make any sense. Yes. But he, he said, if I cast out demons by Be- Beelzebub, or, or Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Now, let's. there's a little, we've got to go into some background on, on, on this. It was not unusual that, you know, Jesus knew that, that the Jews had exorcists, and it was not unusual for them to attempt to cast out demons. And he's saying, by, by, by whom did they cast them out? Or in whose name? For the Jews, they, they would cast out demons. They would, they would invoke Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Some even use the name of Solomon to, to try and cast out demons. We read in Acts 19 <laughs> about a Jewish exorcist, who, the, the, the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> Sceva was a Jewish priest. Yep. He had seven sons, and these guys were going around trying to, trying to cast out demons. Listen to this. It's, very, it's, it's notable. It's important. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, the seven sons of Sceva, uh, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, Seven sons of a Jewish uh, high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Yeah. And the man in whom the evil spirit, who, uh, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, and, and the, this, this uh, mastered them, just beat the tar out of them, <laughs> and, and overpowered them so that they went out of that house naked and wounded. 
And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Jesus, his, this would have made far more sense to these guys when he said, now, whose sons, what name do your sons cast out demons in? <laughs> Absolutely. What a story. What what a background in giving us understanding of how yes. this thing w- was was going down. Yes. As we learned yesterday in the um, in the story uh, of the uh, w- what was the main story that we were talking about? We were talking about the um, gosh, what is the? Hold on, let me rewind back. I'll ju- I'll jump to it real quick. When we were talking about the Good Samaritan story, yes. I I was stressing the idea that over and over. Uh, Jesus has basically set this guy up in the in the judge's seat, and he says, "You you judge for yourself." He does effectively the same thing here in verse nineteen. Yes. He says, "But if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out?" And then the measure by which you judge is the measure by which you're going to be judged. He says, "Then they will be your judges." Yes, right. Yes. So so in other words, if 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 we're casting them out by the same spirit, then they're on my side. <laughs> we, you have a problem. You're even against your own sons mm-hmm. in this, or we're all against you in this, and that would be a really bad situation. So uh, just, I don't know, them's fighting words. Absolutely. Jesus, is, Jesus Absolutely. knows exactly what he's doing. So verse 20, but if I cast out demons, and this, this word here, this phrase here is fascinating. It says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Yes. Notice it's not the kingdom of God coming near now. Yes. The kingdom of God has now come upon them. Um, just fascinating. This is a, a brief commentary section that I think is fascinating. Finger is more uh, authentic than Matthew's spirit of God, right? So it really, it, most commentators would read this as the finger of God, and it refers to God's power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when when we see the finger of God, we're seeing the power of God, and that's what this word translates. That's what this mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. means. So um, Jesus has just said, if I cast out demons by the power of God, mm-hmm. then well, then the kingdom of God has come upon you and you have a problem. Yes, yes. You have a problem. And, and, and don't get caught up in the, he said, but if I, that, that, that's better read or better translated since I cast out demons by the finger of God. There was no doubt. There was not a doubt. Uh, then, he, then, uh, then the kingdom of God has come Absolutely. upon you. Absolutely. The way our English language works, we, we tend to substitute but for uh, uh, an idea of uh, unsure uh, approach. But if this is the case, that's not what he means. He, he simply means since, since this is the yes. case, we're, we're moving on from that. So the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mm-hmm. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when some someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Mm-hmm. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. 
While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it or observe it. Yes. Uh, the wow! Like he's My he's got he's got a fan in the audience yeah. <laughs> who is who is you know whipping out this big you know praise thing, and he says, actually, you want to know who's blessed? The per- people that are blessed are those mm-hmm. who hear the word of God and they observe it. And what he's just said is something that they've heard, and now they need to make sure they observe. Any thoughts on this? Oh my, lots. I, I, this is a story. When he starts talking about the, the strong man and uh, when he's fully armed and guards, I, I can tell you that it took, this was what I, pro- I probably had to look at the, the most to understand it. And what I, what I am seeing and as I read this and as I read some of the uh, uh, scholarly, scholarly commentaries, we, we need to know, first of all, that it seems to me that the strong man he's he's talking about here is Satan. He's used Satan is the strong man in this story. And 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 we 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 have to start there. So when that strong man, he says in verse 21, fully armed, guards his own his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. Now that makes no sense to us if we don't Recall that he's just cast a demon out of a man. Exactly. He's just cast this de- this demon out of a man. And Jesus goes on to say in verse uh, 22, but when someone stronger than he, so someone stronger than Satan, right. when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and and distributes his plunder. So when, when someone stronger comes... Jesus is the one who is stronger. Yes, and and I think important in this is just a simple, uh, just simple logic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the strong man, fully armed, that guards his own house and his possessions is undisturbed, is a shot against the Pharisees. Yeah, they're yes. not doing anything against the kingdom of darkness. They aren't. They're leaving him undisturbed, if you will. Now that that's not to be understood as some obscure philosophy that we need to go charging in and fighting the devil. That right. that's not what the Bible says either. But the point here is that they they are undisturbed because God's people aren't doing their job. Now, verse 22, but when someone's stronger, now there is no one stronger than God. Absolutely So you not. can't yes. reverse this. You can't say that the, the, that the people are different. So someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him. He takes away from him all his armor and that which is relied and disturbs his plunder. The idea here is that the the devil the strong man in verse 21 has has gained his plunder he's gained the 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 life of this particular man yes. and then the stronger one comes in and he distributes his plunder he sets him free you Absolutely, know he, he's yes. moving on in this situation now verse 23 seems to go, coincide with this as i see it but i'd love to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. he says he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters so in other words i'm the stronger one and if you're not with mm-hmm. me you're in big trouble so that's a that's a that's a great point if we uh so are are we going to be with christ or not with him. So some people, I, and and I can tell you that I was, uh, I I was in this camp. I wanted to be neutral for many many years. Uh, so 
being being neutral equates to being against him. So that's the piece that we don't get sometimes. In this sense, to not make a choice is to actually make a choice. Yes. Not to choose is to make a choice. There's no neutral ground here. And, and Jesus is saying we are either with Jesus or we're against him. You cannot be partially for and partially against. There's no riding the fence. But I, I do think that it is... We, we forget that when Jesus talks about him being stronger than the strong man, than Satan, and, and, and the different ways that he has battled Satan, he, don't forget he's just cast out a demon. Well, yes. That certainly would have been yes. a battle against Satan. But he's also tempted in the wilderness. Satan comes to him himself. And he battled him that way. But he battled him with the word of God. And, and what did he do here when he cast out this demon. He, he didn't, you know, grab the man and, and cut him open and jerk the demon out of Absolutely. him. He, he cast him out by his word. Yeah. So I, I just, I think we need to really, really read through this and understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not jumping to another subject. No. He's still on the subject of casting, of, of working against Satan. Absolutely. In a recent interview uh, with uh, his girlfriend, uh, this was Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the uh, the Green Bay Packers, Danny Kirkpatrick or Kirkpatrick or whatever Dana her name Patrick. is, um, he he was interviewing with her and he was talking about his faith and why he had walked away from Christianity and why you know all these things and and he talked about um, on one in on one side of this he he had a he had a program that he went to and it was really fun but then he found the church to be kind of restrictive and he described the church. In a unique way, he said that the everything in the church is is always it's always binary. It's always black or white. It's always sin or saint, sinner or saint. It's always heaven or hell. But the funny thing that he finds repulsive about the church that that Aaron Rodgers had found repulsive about the church is exactly what mm-hmm. what Jesus is pointing at that people against him are going to find repulsive. You notice that the uh, the idea of the metaphor of farming here, mm-hmm. gathering or scattering, this is actually a binary deal here. If you're a gatherer, that is seen as good. If you're a scatterer, that's seen as bad. Throughout the scripture, we see heaven, we see hell. We see righteous, we see unrighteous. We see gatherers, we see scatterers, right? We see for Jesus, we see against Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And just as you stressed just a second ago, neutrality isn't possible. You can't do it. You, you, you don't get to be Switzerland in this situation, you know? Yes. And, and that seems to be what the world tries to do. Just because you don't like the binary choices set before you, just because you don't like that God has said, it's either my way or no way, speaks nothing to the validity of his claim. Mm -hmm. It simply Mm -hmm. says you don't like it. That's it. And so that is a really important thing. So right here, he confronts these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. He confronts them and says, listen, you're either with me or you're against me. Mm-hmm. You're either gathering or you're scattering, mm-hmm. and I don't recommend you be on the other side. Mm-hmm. So verse 24, let's just kind of walk through it. Yes. Well, he says, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. 
and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Now, Jesus is giving us a, a better picture of what someone who is, first of all, he's talking about demon possession. He's just done that. But in a, in a more general sense, he is talking about this trying to be neutral in things. So if you think about this as uh, the, 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 the house that's been swept clean, doesn't, he doesn't say this is a, a godly house. This is a house that's completely turned himself over to God. He's, he's just saying, he just says it's swept clean. This is the exorcism. The, exactly, is that right? That, yes. And it's, it's, it, it's a, it could be, it could be. And I, I saw this as, as you were uh, talking and I, after reading a little bit, that it, it, is a, it, it could be a picture of someone who says, okay, God's done an awesome thing for me. But I don't know that I need to do anything else for him. Absolutely. So that's a whole different yeah. matter. You, you're triggering something that is vitally important about this lesson. If we read this and all we do is say this is just demonic issues, we will miss mm-hmm. a much bigger uh, continuous uh, continuous biblical teaching that comes over and over and over. And I'm going to show you a couple of those people, pieces right now. So first of all, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man and passes through waterless places, another translation would say it passes through arid or desert places. Because mm-hmm. it was commonly known or commonly believed, not known, but commonly believed that demons inhabited the desert places. Again, Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This yeah. is just kind of a common thing in their day. You can see references all over the Bible, Leviticus 16 and Isaiah 34 for those kinds of things. But then we have the swept clean issue. So it says, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. It may not find it. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. So what we deal with here is, of course, this exorcism, this casting out of demons uh, accompanied by uh, a forgiveness of sins and and all of that 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 was declared over these people. Now, verse 26, then it goes and takes along seven other spirits. Now we look like we're talking about legion again. Yes. How did that happen, right? You wonder if if the Jewish exorcist had cast out the demon from that man and they didn't they didn't shepherd him well. Mm-hmm. You wonder. Mm-hmm. It's a total mm-hmm. conjecture. But he takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, we have this woman cheering him on, and he says, no, what is more blessed here is to hear the word of God and to observe it. Here's where your connection is really, really important. Second Peter 2.20, for if... After they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. What does that sound like? Sounds like what we just read there. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 8 speaks of a similar idea here. And, And these are the passages that really make people... Uh, have to deal with uh, apostasy and the falling away of people. Uh, Then we have Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Um, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. You see, the house was swept clean. But then what happened? Mm-hmm. You, you, didn't, you didn't hear the word of God and observe it. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear the word of God and obey it. John chapter 5, verse 14, the gospel of John. 
Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. All you have to do if you really want a biblical view of the new life, the forgiven life, and what we're expected to do... All you have to do is read the daggone Bible, right? And when you read it, you hear this over and over. In view of grace, here's what you hear. Hear the word of God and do what it says. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? That sounds really familiar because that's exactly what Israel did wrong in David's day. Mm -hmm. It was fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Absolutely. Hear the word of God and do what it says. Now, I am not saying that this this is always easy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am also, what I would add to that is you've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. You don't have to fail. You don't have to lose. No temptation is, is, common, is given to man that is not common and that he can't overcome or that God doesn't give him a way out of. So again and again, what we see in the scripture is God has rid us of this past. It's been swept clean. What do we do now? Hear the word of God and do what he says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I love the, just the, the, the teaching that's there that, that you don't get unless you really dig into this. But yes. it, it seems to me that, that, uh, that, that, that those people, and I, I, wanna, I, I really want to say this, say this carefully, this somewhat flies in the face of those that, would say, listen, I don't need Jesus to be morally good. I don't need Jesus to live a good, upstanding lifestyle. And that is true. And I'm not saying that you're going to be demon possessed if you're if you live if you're living and you don't have if if you don't have Jesus. What I am saying is that there is there Jesus says that Without a filling of me, without Jesus in your life, you're kind of open for a lot of things, yes. and none of which will get you to heaven because no. there's one way. There's one. None of which. So, so morals, which some, which some people stand. And don't get me wrong, I, I believe you should be moral. Amen. I believe people should live a morally good lifestyle, but that does not get you anywhere except. Maybe on the school board, or maybe yes. on the whatever. I don't know, but it. But it's it's not a it's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's only bad if we look at that and say, "I'm just as good as anyone else that's living for yes. Christ. I'm Absolutely. good. I'm okay." Absolutely. I, I actually really love that point because just prior to this, what did we read? We were we read Jesus in his instruction on prayer say something like this: "If you being a sinner can give good gifts yes. to your children, can you be morally good? Can you do lots of good things?" Absolutely you can. This is a more true understanding of Paul's argument in Romans. No one is righteous, no, not one. What does he mean? Not that people weren't faultless according to the law, but that the law couldn't give life. It never was meant to. It could not provide that for people, right? And so what is happening here is not that coming to Jesus is um, is that it makes you a better human being all the time. It, it will. It will. It will transform you. It absolutely will transform you. But those who say, I don't need Jesus to be a good person, my response is the same as yours. I'm like, sure, you can be a good person. Uh, but good people go to hell all the time. Yes. Why, would you, why would you risk that? 
right? Why, why would you do that? Good people still go to hell. What do you mean good people still go to hell? There's one way to heaven, and that is a surrender to Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Absolutely. That's it. And these, this, this conclusion of this piece in 28, not every part of it he concluded because obviously he goes on, but when you think about the answer that he's getting, all this is part of an answer that he gave them that started out with Did them saying... That teach us how to pray, and then people coming and saying, okay, well, maybe he's driving out demons because he's part yes. of Satan's camp. Yes. He's saying, in, in answering those who accused him of working by the power of Satan, Jesus was saying, I've, I've not come just to merely fight evil. I, 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 I've come for far more than that. I've come to bring the the mercy of God, the, the grace of God. He, he didn't come just to merely empty the house that the, man, that, the, that the demon came back and found it swept clean. He didn't come just to empty the house. He came to fill it with himself. Amen. He, he, he came to fill it with himself. And I, yeah. I, I'm amazed by that. Powerful. And, and my final thought would be that's exactly what we concluded in the instruction on prayer. He who asks, mm-hmm. how much more mm-hmm. will... Will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, His kingdom? He wants to fill that house, and He's going to fill it with Himself. And if that's the case, guess what? The strongest man is with you. Yes. Not the strong man he's been defeated. It's the stronger man who is yes. with you. What a powerful thing. So, guys, it's been a great podcast today. We want to hear from you. You can email us at piercepointchurch at gmail.com, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com, or barneyestes at yahoo.com. No matter what, we want to hear from you, whether it's a question, comment, a point of agreement, a point of disagreement. We love this conversation. We want this conversation to continue. So uh, hit us up on that. You can also post a comment on our Facebook page that's uh, at Pierce Point, or send us an email through the Pierce Point website if that's an easier way for you to do it. It'll come directly to us, and then we can respond to that. So uh, we want you to have a good day. We want you to be blessed, and we want you to keep studying. God bless you.